That's quite a crew this morning. Good luck to y'all. This morning, Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. For you are still in the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? The Word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, it is this time this morning, Father, that we ask that your Spirit cause us to reflect on ourselves, that he asks us as individuals to Look into the deep recesses of our hearts. Look into the the deeper things with our relationship with you, Father. That we inspect it from your perspective, not of what we think is right or what we think our relationship and our walk as Christians should be, but what you ask and the way you want us to live our lives and devote our lives unto you. Father, we just pray that your spirit would help us to see that that he would help us to see the truth in each of our lives. And Father, I pray that the words I speak be not of me, but be of you and guided by your Spirit to your glory. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. So I want to encourage us all as I prayed to look at ourselves this morning. Look inwardly at your own relationship with Christ and and what that looks like. I think self-assessment is something that's absolutely necessary in our relationship with Jesus. And we should take part in that on a daily basis. Because if we just go along and float along and don't critically assess our lives and our own walks, then we meander astray. Then we don't end up where Christ wants us to be. Problems arise to all of us and in all of our lives and in all of our walks when we become complacent about our relationship with God. Problems arise in every relationship that we have, whether it's with our spouses, whether it's with our children, you name it. Problems arise in relationships when we become complacent, when we don't have an attitude of fervency that that we're going to work on that relationship. Being a Christian means that we must be vigilant in our walks, that we don't take them for granted, that we don't become lackadaisical in them. It's an active endeavor. It's not passive. It's not a check mark that we checked whenever we were whatever age And now we're done with it. Now we're just, we sort of banked it away and we're waiting on eternity. It's not the way it works. Because if that in fact is the way you see it, it will be a fearful time when we get to that point. Christianity is active. It is a relationship 
that needs to be nurtured and is progressive in nature. If we aren't progressing, we are regressing. We don't stay static whenever we fail to put forth the effort. There's no place we get where we just maintain and do nothing else. It's not the way it works. Either we are constantly moving forward or we are moving backwards. It's almost like we're on some sort of treadmill in that we run forwards, but the minute we stop, we automatically regress. We go backwards because that's just sort of human nature. If we aren't actively engaging in this battle or in this war every day, then I suggest that we're losing the battles. Paul has spent a great deal of time throughout these first two and into this third chapter dealing with and addressing the notion of pride. Looking at pride and how it is the opposite or the antithesis of where we should be as Christians. It is Paul's desire to melt that pride away. To melt it away and do away with the divisions that arise as a result of it. Jealousy, strife, envy, all of that stuff is a direct flowing from or cause or is caused by pride. Whenever there's strife, whenever there's jealousy, it all comes from an internal sense of pride. And Paul's making that point to the church at Corinth. And he's making that point because he doesn't want the church to continue down the road that it began traveling. He saw that there was a significant problem in that church. And he saw the root of that problem, even though it worked its way out in division and jealousy, and we're going to see it as it plays out throughout the rest of this book. He sees the root being pride. And he knew that he had to address that problem before it destroyed the church. I will tell you that pride destroys individuals and their relationships with God and pride will also destroy the church as a whole. And we have to be careful lest we fall into the same ugly, dark abyss as the church at Corinth did. And we've seen that Paul talked about wisdom, spent a long time dealing with wisdom, in particular worldly wisdom. And how it was the pursuit of worldly wisdom that was wrong. And that that was grounded in a sense of pride. Everybody wanted to be smarter than everybody else. Everybody believed that they were the smartest person in the room. And Paul condemned that. However, he also discussed another type of wisdom, didn't he? He talked about godly wisdom and how godly wisdom was to be pursued and sought after and longed for because godly wisdom promotes that we glorify God, whereas worldly wisdom promotes that we glorify me. And Paul saw the dangers in that. And so as he wrote about godly wisdom, he put some limitations on that. And those limitations was not everyone can get it. Not everyone can understand it. 
We saw that a great number or a vast majority of people think that godly wisdom is folly, foolishness, silliness. But to those of us who are in Christ, it is the power of God until eternal life. He broke down those who could receive and understand godly wisdom as being spiritual as being mature. And we made that connection a few weeks ago. And then he contrasted the spiritual people or the mature people with the natural person or the natural man. So those were the contrasts that he he made. And in fact, he went so far as to say that the natural man or the natural person cannot... Not only do they will not, but they even cannot understand godly wisdom. They don't have that ability. As part of this discussion, Paul created, as I said, those two groups of people. The mature and spiritual, and those that are natural or worldly. We can can use that term. But he doesn't stop there. He realizes that there is another group, there is a third group that is very important for him to acknowledge in this book. Because they are the subject of why he's gone through all this, all this study and information that he's given the church of Corinth. This third group of people are Christians who are worldly. There are Christians who are carnal. There are Christians who are immature. And he wants to spend some time addressing them because they are whom he's talking to. They are the ones that are reading this letter in Corinth. And so he, he, he goes to great lengths to sort of circle around them, but now all of a sudden the focus is directly on them. We know that we have worldly people Or natural people, they can't even understand godly wisdom. They they pursue worldly wisdom. They're full of pride, deceit, conceited in every way. And we have the spiritual or the mature that are the opposite of that group. But then we have a group in the middle. We have a group in the middle who are supposed to be spiritual and mature. But instead they look a whole lot like the worldly group. They act a whole lot like the worldly group. And so it's a warning. It's a warning to those at Corinth. It's a warning to us today as we look at our own walks and assess our own relationship with Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So here we see that third group of people, and he refers to them as infants in Christ or babes in Christ. Now, he doesn't outright call them worldly or fleshly, but instead they are babes in Christ. He wants to be able to call them spiritual, but he can't. He can't call him spiritual. Alternatively, probably if he had a decision that he had to make, they more closely resemble the worldly than they do the spiritually. 
but he's referring to them as infants in Christ. And notice that he uses the past tense here. Could not address you as spiritual. So he's he's talking about a prior time whenever he dealt with these folks. He's talking about whenever he has spoken to them before other than in this letter. And we see that, and we've seen it already in in chapter 1, verse 6. He refers to these folks as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among them. He's had a relationship with his church for quite some time. And so at the very beginning, he couldn't address them as spiritual people because they were infants in Christ. They believed in Christ. They called upon him as their Lord for salvation. But it is like we have said, when we first accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, God wins the war, but many battles are left to be fought. There are many battles that are left to be fought. However, we know very little about those battles. We know very little about how to be in this group of spiritual people. We don't know anything about it, right? Whenever we, we, we were first saved and, and, and born again, we don't know anything about this group. We know a whole lot about this group because that's where we were. This process is called sanctification, becoming more Christ-like. We're supposed to move as we age and get older into this group and become more like Christ because Christ is the very center of this sanctified group. Now it can be easy to read passages that we've studied in Romans like 8.30 and become complacent with our salvation, with our walk, with who we are in Christ. We can become complacent or lazy about our walk, about the walk of others, and think, ah, we don't have to worry about that now. And we looked at this months ago. And those whom he predestined, he called, he called, he justified, he justified, he glorified. We have a golden chain of salvation that's all on God's part. And we can read this, and just for the record, I may not bring it up later on, but I should if I don't. I'll do it now. This is meat. This is red meat. It's not milk. And so whenever you have babies that try to take in the red meat, they don't understand it. And they think, I don't have to do anything. Right? I'm saved. I'm good to go. I can go back over here and hang out with these worldly people and act like I don't know Jesus and God's going to glorify me in the end. That's milk. You don't understand that passage if that's what you think that passage means. But you have to be in this camp to understand what that means. That's meat. It's not milk. So we run the risk whenever we try to deal with passages like this that those who are infants or immature in Christ think, I don't have to do anything else It's over. I'm going to act like these folks over here and God's going to glorify me. You're going to be in for a very rude awakening. It's not the gospel. That's not what the gospel is. When that happens, we don't progress. And 
progressing as a Christian is everything. Progressing as a Christian is everything for our eternity. Because if we don't progress, then we're at risk of always being in that camp from the beginning. We were never saved. There are so many scriptures that warn us against not progressing. And we've talked about those on many different occasions. Even Galatians 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers... Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In Christ, we have been freed. However, just because we've been freed doesn't mean we go back and join that group and that we're free to do whatever we want. And that's what Paul was telling the Galatian church here. We must guard against the dangers of not progressing. We must guard against pride in the flesh and that using that freedom that we have in a selfish manner. And here he's basically showing them that you use the freedom that you've been given in a selfless manner to love and serve one another. That's what the spiritual people do. That's what the mature Christians do. They love it to serve one another. We're going to see in chapter 6, Paul writes that everything is permissible for me to do. That's what he says. Everything is permissible for me to do, but not everything is beneficial. Love and serving one another are prime examples of being selfless. That's, That's the opposite of pride. It's the opposite of the world and, and, and how they act. When we are born again, we are babes in Christ. We are a new creation, right? When Jesus talked to Nicodemus, Nicodemus didn't understand. He said, unless you're born again, Nicodemus said, how can I crawl back in my mother's womb? I'm a grown man. And he said, you are a new creation, but you've got to grow. You've got to grow. You've got to progress. That is why it's so important that we don't leave new Christians to fend for themselves. You've heard me say it a jillion times. When people profess faith in Jesus, the last thing we should do is say, you're good to go. You're on your own. They don't know what to do. They have no idea what the progression looks like, what it means. They have no idea what's going to come at them from all different areas of life the dangers that they're going to face. We don't leave our babies to fend for themselves, do we? When you have your moms, when you have a newborn baby, you just kind of toss it over to the side and walk away and say, it'll be all right. No. No. Definitely not. You think that that is absurd. It's no different in a born-again Christian. They are a new creation a baby. Everything in their life that they thought they knew, now all of a sudden they don't. If we abandon babies, they flounder and die. And how often does that happen to those that profess Christianity and we give them no encouragement and next thing we know, we never see them again, right? We don't see them. They have walked away. 
As I said so many times, it's not when we begin, it's if we finish. God has set up the Christian walk much in the same manner that he set up our physical walk, right? We are born as babes, we're nurtured, we're guided, we develop, we become men and women, we develop strength. It's the same way when we're born again. We should be nurtured and guided and develop strength. And then as physical people have their own children, then when we develop the strength as spiritual mature Christians, then we help those that are born again and new and fresh. That's the way God has made it. The parallels are remarkable. I fed you with milk, Paul says, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. So again, he continues this verse in the past tense, that whenever he first come in contact with them, whenever they were first saved, he fed them with milk and not solid food. They were spiritually babies. They were babies. He did not feed them solid food because, quite frankly, they couldn't digest it. It's like the Romans 8.30 passage I threw up there. Babies are not capable of eating meat and potatoes. Their bodies aren't ready for that. They can't digest it. They have to begin with milk. And in like manner, Christians need to be fed milk as well. We say, well, what is that milk? That milk's that elementary, rudimentary understanding that A, God exists, that B, I'm not the center of the universe, and that really, I'm not a very good person, and that C, I need to be saved for all the things I do and think and all the evil that resides within me. Those are basic elementary principles, and I come to that conclusion that Jesus is that Savior, right? That's the milk that we should all have at the beginning. But we lack the ability to understand the deeper truths. We lack the ability at that stage to understand Romans 8.30. God's wisdom cannot be imparted to us all at once. It's like taking a drink of water out of a fire hydrant. It's not going to work out well. God gives us the wisdom over a period of time Through trials, through battles, through victories, we gain that. New Christians have just come to the understanding of who they are and the fact that they need a Savior. They don't understand the deeper things of God. And their ability to understand God and all of His wisdom is dramatically limited. Now as we move to the second part of verse 2 that I did not read, you're going to see that Paul stops beating around the bush, right? And he has danced around it for quite a while here. He's like, oh, well, there's a group out there that's worldly, and there's a group that's spiritual and mature. And he's given us the characteristics of both groups. Now there's an intermediate group that are immature, and they can't deal with solid food. They can only be fed milk. And I fed you milk at the beginning whenever I first come in contact with you. And even now, you're not ready for solid food. Boom. He doesn't mince words. 
Even now, you're not ready for salvation. You should be. You should be. You've had plenty of time to get there. You should be able to read it, Romans 8.30 and understand exactly what that means. But you're not. You're not. You've not progressed. You've not gotten to the, to the stage where you can understand the deeper things of God. Your spiritual body has not grown enough or developed enough that you should be able to eat and handle meat and potatoes. But you're still on milk. You're still at the beginning. What happens to a baby if all they're ever fed is milk their entire lives? I will tell you, they can't survive. If you feed a baby milk until they're... Well, they'll never make it to 20 years old. There comes a time when they have to have solid food. While milk is good for them in the beginning, it does not give them the nutrients and vitamins and everything that they need to become adults. Can't get there. You can't be a grown woman or a grown man only on milk. They will die before they get there. So then therein lies the question is, can you maintain milk as a Christian and ever get to the spiritual and mature? No. You can't. You can't. You have to progress. You have to move on. And this is a dire warning to those at Corinth. It's a dire warning to all of us. You might ask, how does Paul know that they're still immature and can only take milk and not solid food? He's making a supposition here. How, How does he know that? He tells us. For you are still in the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? He tells them that he knows that they are still babes, that they are still spiritual infants because of the way they act. Because they act just like this worldly group. They act like they acted whenever he first met them. There's no change in their demeanor. That's the unique thing about Christianity. You want to test your faith? Ask yourself how you act now compared to how you acted at the beginning. Christianity demands progression. These folks weren't progressing. They said they believed that Christ was their Lord and Savior. They accepted Him as such. But then lo and behold, their actions were still worldly. There was still division among them there was still jealousy among them there was still strife among them they were still worried about somebody hurting their feelings instead of being selfless and being there to serve each other spiritual maturity and their actions were inconsistent with each other now notice Paul's observation It actually comes in a form of a question, right? He's wanting them to be introspective, to assess their own selves. He's already showed them that they're not ready for meat, but he's wanting them to see why they're not ready for meat. 
He's not just going to beat him over the head and say, this is the way I perceive you. He's like, I want you to get to the point where you can self-assess yourself. Probably not right. Where you can assess yourself and make a determination of whether you are worldly or spiritual. Are you able to take in solid food or are you still stuck on milk? And so when we can do that ourselves... Number one, it just goes down a little bit easier than it is when somebody tells you, right? And so that's why Paul was wanting to do that. We want you to see for yourself. Ask yourself, are your actions worldly or are they more spiritual? Paul knew the answer. It wasn't like he was waiting for them to tell him what the answer was. He knew that they were worldly actions. But he wanted them to be able to look in that mirror to see for themselves and do something about it. Because until and unless we see it for ourselves, we're not going to do anything about it. If somebody tells us they notice something about us and we're like, I don't think that's right. It gives us no desire to ever do anything to change. And Paul wanted the impetus to be on change and for them to change. And he gives them, he shows them or demonstrates to them exactly what these worldly ways are or what this selfishness and envy and jealousy is all about. He says, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely worldly or human? Paul gives them these specific instances to demonstrate that they are spiritually immature, that they are babes in Christ, that they're still in need of milk, that they've not come to the place where they can take solid food. He's saying that's what the people of the world do. Those are normal actions of ungodly, non-believing people. They dislike each other, they're full of deceit, they're full of envy, pride. That's what the world does, that's not what Christians should be doing. We are to look differently. Now we've discussed what milk is, it's that rudimentary understanding of our own condition that we're in need of a Savior and that Jesus was that Savior. That's the milk. But what is the solid food? What is solid food? Solid food comes from the wisdom of God. It is the deeper things of God, as I've referenced, that enlighten us and enable us to understand God and ourselves better. Let me use... An example or an analogy, and again, I've asked you many times, every time I use one, don't take it too far because it'll fail because it comes from this mind and not God. Use math, right? When we were in math class, sometimes we could memorize multiplication tables, right? Whatever the problem, you could memorize it. And so when that test would come, we could spit out two times two is four. We just knew that from rote memory. But did any of you guys ever have a teacher or a professor that required you to show your work? Anybody? Wasn't that aggravating? Why was that so aggravating? 
Because it requires us to understand the reasoning behind 2 times 2 equaling 4. That's the way that God is with respect to the meat. Why is it I need a Savior? Why is it? What's that understanding all about? Who's actually working behind the scenes to making sure I get to heaven? Romans 8.30. So, to show our work as Christian is what brings us closer to God. You have a deeper understanding of God, the way He is, the way we are. That, that's what growing in Christ is all about. That's what sanctification is all about. It's sort of like whenever kids are small, your parents say, don't do that, and leave it at that. Why not? Because I said so, right? Well, that's okay, but later on, we have to develop a deeper understanding of why slapping our friends isn't usually a good thing. It's not conducive to a good relationship. So growing in Christ and eating the meat that is the wisdom of God that He gives to us in small measure, day after day after day, enables us to see the bigger picture. It enables us to be stronger Christians. It enables us to fight the larger battles that are out there. If we stay in the milk, come that first battle, I'm out. I'm beat. I'm on my own because all I know is from rote memorization. Somebody told me I needed a Savior. I say, yeah, because I want to have eternal life. End of story. But the meat is where the progression comes from. Romans, when we went through chapters 9 through 11, those things are way deep. I can't begin to understand them. But that is meat. That's where we fully come to know God in a deeper way, we'll never fully know Him because we aren't God and never will be. But we come to know Him in a much deeper way, a way that helps us and encourages us. And that's what Paul was wanting the church at Corinth to do and to be able to see. He wants them to eat the solid food so that they become more like Christ and less like the world. So as we move out and as I close want to encourage us all, look deep within our own relationships. Be a self-assessor every day. Where am I in Christ? Do I look more like the world or do I look like the spiritual and mature? Can I, can I delve into the deeper things of God and understand or do I just write it off and not worry about it or not even care? Because the danger is if you're in that latter group, that writes it off and doesn't care and doesn't understand and doesn't want to understand, not sure you're in the Christ group at all. That's the danger. That's the biggest danger of not progressing, that you really weren't in the group to begin with. Amen? Let us pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for the words of Paul that are very eye-opening, that we all can take to heart, that we can all assess our own relationship with you, Father. And make a thoughtful, objective determination of do we look like the world or do we look like you? And we all know it's impossible for us to look just like you, but are we working our way that direction? 
Father, let us make a self-assessment in our lives and, and help to give us eyes to see our own spiritual state. And Lord, we pray, as Peter said in Second Peter, that we would make our calling and election sure, that we know we are yours because we are on solid food and you have strengthened us and that you are glorified through that. We thank you, Father, for it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All rise.